Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 19. The inspired and preserved Word of God in our English language in our King James Bibles. John chapter 19. The Apostle Peter had many reasons to love the Lord Jesus Christ, and he did love him. Because he had denied his Lord, there was a confrontation between Jesus Christ and Peter after our Lord's resurrection. And Peter got to spend the next 40 days with Jesus. Peter was the first male to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Or he was singled out by our Lord Jesus Christ. Go and tell Peter. And as, you, as we just read in 1 Corinthians 15, opening this service, he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter. But I want you to remember, as we think about the death and burial of Jesus Christ, how Peter presented it. It's your passage from a couple weeks ago, Brother Zach. When Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, preached the first sermon, just a week after Jesus had ascended into heaven, he did not weep. And he could have. You might think he should have. But weeping was past. Jesus rose from the dead. And his preaching in Acts chapter 2 is important for us to get what does a man say about the death of Jesus Christ one week after he ascended into heaven, just 50 days after he died on the cross? Is he emotional about it, or is he looking at the victory of it and the consequences of it on those Jews that were standing there? And that is the case. He immediately told them, we are not drunk with wine, but we are full of the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven by the promise that God made to Jesus Christ, whom you with wicked hands have slewn, but God raised him from the dead. Amen. He couldn't have been holden by death because all the Old Testament prophecies, especially Psalm 16, apply to him. He is risen from the dead. He is at the right hand of God. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, Lord and Christ. And with many other words, he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. That's the biblical presentation. Seven days after his ascension, 50 days after his death and burial. Because I do not want to stray from the word of God. I don't care what ministers have done before me, what they're doing right now. I don't care if ministers have jerked tears from your eyes. They've jerked tears from my eyes. But I want to preach the Lord Jesus Christ exactly as he's found in the Bible. And so for right now, we have to deal with his death and burial but his resurrection is coming, and he's a glorious Savior. Amen. John chapter 19, beginning at verse, do you remember where we are? Yes. Three sections to John 19, verses 1 through 16, are the second trial by Pilate, because the first trial was in John 18. And then we saw that there was a trial with Herod in Matthew But then verses 17 through 30 of our John 19 is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We dealt with it last Lord's Day. We looked at it several different ways. We looked at the sayings of the cross to end. We looked at the complete timeline of what happened in the cross by looking at all four Gospels, but we focused on John's record. Now we're at verse 31, and we have 12 verses. And those 12 verses are the death and burial of Jesus. And John is very particular. No one in the Bible, except Paul, wanted us to believe that Jesus was the Son of God like John. Each of the Gospels has a different thrust. John's is, he is the Son of God. And I could go off on 1 John 5 right now, the the first 13 verses of that chapter. I used it to open the preparatory email yesterday. Jesus is the Son of God. That's the faith that overcomes the world. That's the faith that's the result of regeneration. Jesus is the Son of God. There are nine witnesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Three in the lifetime of Jesus, three in heaven, and three on earth right now, and we're going to keep two of them right now. 
We're keeping the first one now, and in a couple of hours we'll keep the second one, which will, will be right down there. Nine, he is the Son of God. You believe junk that men tell you that you can't prove, and they haven't proven to you, but you believe they're junk. It's shameful. But the testimony of God is greater. And the testimony that he's given of his son is great. And that's what we're doing in John 19. There were Christ wars in the days of John. Do you know that it says in 1 John that he had to deal with men that were saying Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh? It was an apparition. Jesus was an apparition. Jesus was a spirit. Jesus looked like he had a body, but he didn't have a real body. Do you know that it says in there, try every spirit? Believe not every spirit. 1 John chapter 4, first six verses. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits to see if they're of God. How do we know? Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. He had a flesh body with a pericardium, that's the sac around your heart, and water around his lungs, and by pericardia and plural effusion, there's water that came out of him, when he had a significant evacuation under his rib cage by a Roman soldier looking up at him on the cross and piercing him to fulfill scripture. He had a flesh, blood, bone body, but not a bone was broken, but that flesh was torn and the blood was shed. They had those errors in the days of the apostles. So this man, our brother, writes very carefully. Look at verse 35. John 19, 35, before I even read the passage to you, I don't care if I'm a little out of order. I hope that your minds are disorderly this morning and so that we can match up. John 19, 35, he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. What's that verse in the Bible for? I thought we all believed the Bible is true. Thy word is truth. Didn't Jesus pray that in John 17? Notice John. He wants you to know that he saw it. He was an eyewitness. He only wrote true things, and he's written these true things for us to believe. Jesus did come in the flesh. And Jesus had a physical death, and he truly died. He didn't suffer syncope or swoon and be revived by the coolness of the tomb. He was dead dead, dead, certified by death experts and made sure of by that pierce in his side and buried by friends that would have revived him if he was revivable. But only one could revive him, he himself. He took his spirit again and came out of there. Oh, that's next Sunday. (laughs) We love it. Listen, our children love the song, Up from the Grave He Arose, because he tore the bars away. I wait the whole song to get to the words, he tore the bars away. But we're not there yet. Let's get everything we can out of what we have for today. John 19, 31. The Jews, therefore, Jesus has died in the previous verse. It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He gave up the ghost. His spirit wasn't ripped from him while he was unconscious, subconscious, or anything else. He wasn't in a coma. He gave up the ghost. Are those his last words in verse 30? No, they are not. uh, Luke tells us very plainly that he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit after he had said these words with a loud voice. Then he gave up the ghost. Verse 31. So Jesus is dead and he's hanging on the cross and the two thieves are alive and it's approximately 3.30 p.m. that afternoon. Not, Not this moment. When Jesus died, it was somewhere 3, 3.15, 3.30. The Jews are getting concerned about the Passover Sabbath approaching at 6 p.m. they got to get the bodies off the cross. That's what we're reading about. That's what we'll understand here in a few minutes. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus 
and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Let me read it again. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Amen and amen. Amen. For those of you that know the gospel of John, maybe you've been waiting for this passage. This is one of the passages I've been waiting for. And this is Sermon 159. I've been waiting a long time. Because I love John and how he wants to present evidentiary proof that Jesus truly died and fulfilled scriptures. We've got death experts saying he's dead. The overseeing death expert is the centurion. And Pilate is going to interview the centurion to make sure Jesus is dead. That's in the second service. Here we are. Thank you, Lord, for John 19. I love every word of it. Thank you for raising up John, the son of Zebedee, to write this for us. Verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation. What follows in this section and those seven verses that I just read to you should not be treated lightly because you already know that Jesus died. You better be certain that Jesus died, and we want to rejoice in the fact that it was made certain that he died. Because if he didn't die, 1 Corinthians 15 isn't true. If he didn't die, he's a liar. If he didn't die and rise again, your future is hopeless. So much depends upon us seeing the certainty of the death of our Lord and his burial. By this section, we have 12 verses, but I just read to you seven. That's what we want to cover right now. The events recorded here in the 12 verses are death, confirmation, body piercing, and then his burial. The preeminent facts, death and burial of our Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus did not truly die but only swooned, his resurrection power is a fraud. If Jesus did not truly have a body of flesh, then his resurrection power is also a fraud. Did you know that they were preaching already in the days of the apostles? The resurrection is past already? And they weren't preterists because 70 AD hadn't happened yet. The resurrection was past already and overthrow the faith of some. Faith can be overthrown. Let's not only have our faith not overthrown today, let's have it puffed up, exploded, magnified, and enlarged. Jesus was dead. And we don't have to grieve or mourn about the fact because he came to life 72 hours later with power. But that's next Sunday. So allow me to focus on the death of John 19. If Jesus was not actually buried and there three days and three nights, he was a liar. Because that's what he said in Matthew chapter 12 was his sign that he was the the son of God. The gospel is the record according to scripture of his death and burial that I read to you earlier this morning from 1 Corinthians 15. Mocking death in the grave like Hosea and Paul did depends on Jesus' death and on Jesus' burial. Because it's mocking the grave. Hey grave, what happened to you? Because it was conquered, but Jesus was in it. Enemies nor friends thought he was alive at all. Enemies would have made sure he was dead. Friends would have tried to make him alive if he was revivable. I've said it already. The evidence is just overwhelming. It's wonderful evidence that Jesus was truly dead. The glory and the power of resurrection... A preeminent fact of our faith depends on these verses that we have right here for us to fully appreciate them. Do you believe that every word of God is pure? Do you believe that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God? John 19 will build your faith. Now, I've been to a mountaintop, and it's not what was preached in Washington 40 years ago. I was to a mountaintop last night about this passage. I love my Lord for dying and for making it so certain and for raising up John to write me these verses. These verses are not in Matthew. They're not in Mark. They're not in Luke. 
right here. I love them. Amen. Every word. The Jews had legal reasons to bury the bodies before 6 o'clock. The Romans had no qualms. Crucifixion could take a week. Crucifixion often took two or three days. Crucifixion did not kill a man. Pilate's going to interview the centurion because he's not going to believe it. The Jews didn't believe it. The Jews said, break their legs and get them down. But Jesus was already dead. But there's a problem. The Jewish calendar ran from evening to evening. Remember in Genesis, it said in the evening and the morning were the first day? God looks at days differently than we do. There's, there's some practical wisdom in that, but we're not going to chase that little rabbit right now. It's been chased a long time ago and shot thoroughly in living life day by one day at a time. But at 6 p.m., the day started. Now at 6 p.m., 24 hours earlier, a day started. The 14th of the month, Abib or Nisan. And that 14th day was the day they ate the Passover lamb on time that night. Because the evening came before the day. And Jesus has now been either eating the Passover, teaching his apostles. Just think of all the chapters we've covered, brethren. I'm going all the way back to chapter 13. In 24 hours, Jesus had the Passover, instituted the Lord's Supper, identified Judas Iscariot, preached to his apostles, prayed to his father, was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, hauled before Caiaphas, hauled before Pilate, hauled before Herod, hauled before Pilate, put on the cross, and it's 3 p.m., and he's died. 3 p.m. in the afternoon, but 6 p.m. is going to be the start of the 15th day of the month. And the 15th day of the month is the Sabbath of the Passover. The Passover, you ate the lamb on the 14th, you had a Sabbath on the 15th, and you had a Sabbath on the 21st. They were days of convoca holy convocation, special Sabbath days. Thus, it's called a high Sabbath day, a special annual Sabbath day, the first Sabbath of the Passover and the last Sabbath of the Passover. That thing's about to get started at 6 p.m., and the scrupulous, hypocritical Jews, instead of worrying about the man they killed on the cross, they want to get his body and the bodies of the two thieves off those crosses and buried somehow, some way, somewhere so that they can observe their scrupulous little Sabbath at 6 p.m. Are you with me? That's what the verse means. I'm supposed to read it distinctly and give you the sense. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, that means they were preparing for a Sabbath day. If you had a Sabbath day coming next, how much manna were you supposed to gather when you went out that previous day? Was it a, preparation? Was it a manna preparation day? You had to get two days' worth of manna. You had to prepare to take a whole day off because you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. So it was called the preparation. The preparation for not eating the lamb, having the Sabbath. John's given us numerous, numerous occasions to bring this point up. I want you to understand every word of your Bible that he's willing to show me. I'd show you every word if he'd show me. So pray for me once in a while. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, getting ready for the Sabbath, that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was in high day, they did not want to violate their little religion about that high, holy convocation Sabbath day. So they wanted Jesus off the cross. What if it hadn't been a Sabbath day? They weren't going to care as much. But they should have if they cared about the law of God, because the law of God didn't care what day it was. It did not care what day it was. No one was supposed to be left on a cross overnight. But these hypocrites, worried more. didn't they worry more about their Sabbath during the entire ministry of Jesus Christ? And here when he's on the cross, they're still worrying about their Sabbath. That the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day. That Sabbath day was a high day. I've explained all that to you. We can go look at verses, but we don't, we don't need to. Trust me. Should I? Yeah. Go home and do what the Bereans did. If you don't think that this Sabbath day was a holy convocation, go home and read Leviticus chapter 23 and Exodus chapter 12, and you can find out. I put everything I preach in writing, and I really only give you part of it. So you can check it out. But we need to keep moving on to get through all these verses in, in good time. They besought Pilate that their legs might be broken. Their, plural legs, not his, 
But the men on the cross get their legs broken and get them down because that was the Roman method of finishing up a crucifixion. An iron bar to crush your tibia and fibula. Have you ever stumbled into a coffee table or something with your tibia and fibula? When you stumbled into a coffee table with your tibia and fibula, did it hurt? Did you howl? And those people being crucified would howl because it was terribly painful and they would bring on death by asphyxiation because the men could no longer lift themselves up with their lower legs crushed by an iron rod and they would die from shock because the pain was terrible. Can you imagine having somebody take an iron club, a tire iron out of your trunk, a crowbar, and smash your lower legs? So that's what the Jews are asking for because that was the Roman method. Let's get this over with and get the bodies down. And so they besought Pilate that their legs might be broken. You know, it's just stuck in here. What does that mean? To get the, the two thieves were still alive. We need to get them dead and get them off the cross because we've got a Sabbath day coming and we need their bodies taken away because we've got to keep the Sabbath holy. These men didn't know holiness if it had come up to them and introduced itself to them. They were liars, wicked murderers. But they had their little religion. And we're going to run into people like that that have their little religion and their little ideas that don't know holiness, they don't know godliness, they don't love God, they don't love anything but themselves and their little agenda and their little ideas on what is right, true, and good. And we've got to stick to the Bible at all times. The Bible said that no one could be hung on a tree and remain overnight regardless of whether it was a Sabbath or not. And so that's verse 31. Verse 32, then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. Those soldiers came because the Jews went to Pilate and said, Pilate, it's, it's getting near 6 o'clock. You know, it's 4.30. It's 5. It's 5 p.m. The Sabbath is going to start at 6. We've got to get those bodies off the cross. So Pilate sent soldiers, sent word to soldiers, go ahead and get this thing over with. And so it tells us in verse 32, the soldiers came, break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. The two thieves were still alive, which was rather ordinary survival. So they were killed. Crucifixion doesn't kill immediately. It takes a while, even with a scourging. One to three days, some longer, but they were exceptions. The Romans didn't care. They didn't have a Sabbath. They didn't mind if somebody hung out there for five days and the birds began eating their flesh after they died. It was a good demonstration. It was good show and tell. We're Rome. You're the Jews. Shut up and salute. It was a mighty empire. And it had been raised up to be an empire of iron. And they conquered the earth with their iron. And they were cruel. God is in full charge of all events, even cruel, sinful ones, like sending a thief to heaven. For this thief might have suffered another couple days and then been eaten by the birds. I know you're not thinking that being... Listen, I can't either. Thinking of a crowbar hitting my lower legs and crushing my tibia and fibula doesn't sound good. It just doesn't have a good ring inside. But if I was going to hang there for two more days and suffer... After what I just heard, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Crush my legs. We, when we look at something that happens in the world, there's a God behind it. And that God behind it is of infinite wisdom. And he crowns us every single day with loving kindness and tender mercies. You do not see everything. I trust him completely. Nothing that happens in this world bothers me, troubles me, or causes me grief. I trust him. I trust him completely. And so when I look at the thief that was saved, the Lord got him to heaven faster. So I'm not going to grieve for the thief because just a couple minutes after his legs were crushed, where was he? Who was there to meet him? Because Jesus had said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Verse 33, but when they came to Jesus 
and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. When the Roman soldiers inspected our Lord, they found that Jesus had already died. No heaving of his chest, his head was hanging down, no movement at all. They wouldn't have to check his pulse or anything. That position was so uncomfortable and so difficult to breathe that breathing would be a major effort, and he was just motionless, motionless hanging there. It surprised Pilate, as I've already mentioned, because being an expert in crucifixion death, Jesus should have been alive. Mark 15 and verse 44 tells us that Pilate interviewed the centurion in charge of the crucifixion to make sure that he was dead because it didn't ring true to Pilate. How how in the world could he be dead already? And the centurion said, he just died very, remember, the centurion saw him die and knew that he gave up the ghost. But Pilate's asking him, is he dead? Yes, he is certainly dead. I know it's early, sir, but he just died. He chose to die. Amen, yes. To fulfill John chapter 10, I lay my life down and I take my life up again. Many other factors enter into how long you can last on a cross, starvation, heavy scourging, other tortures, and so forth. Your, your physical condition when you got you know, into the hands of the Roman soldiers, but I'm just telling you the general numbers by historians, one to three days. Jesus chose to die and laid down his life on the cross. His life wasn't taken from him. I love every single one of these verses. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already. I love going to Mark 15, 44. That will be read to you in the second service. Pilate interviews the centurion. Just thinking about the interview. Are you kidding me? We've never had anyone die that fast. He was in pretty good health. What happened? He chose to die. He's dead. I saw it. I love my they didn't take anything he didn't give them. Right. Do you know what it says about the, his, the scourging? Did they take his back for scourging? Or does the, does the Bible say he gave them his back for scourging? Every bit of this crucifixion and the torture is beautiful to look at and realize he came willingly to do everything that happened to him and to give himself a sacrifice for us. They break not his legs. They didn't break the legs of Jesus, for he was already dead. Their ordinary technique was not necessary. Since he was dead, there was no need to break his legs and break those bones. You know, John's building up his case. He's going to tell us why all this had to happen just this way. But we're going to get there in time. Today, but in time. The bloodthirsty Jews would have enjoyed the extra pain, but they were deprived of it. When Jesus said, it is finished things began to change between him and God immediately. He could say, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit because he had finished everything he needed to do. And remember, that finishing is not finishing salvation so that we can go pick on our minions with John 19.30. That finishing, isn't that how we've used it about a thousand times? Me personally? Oh, Lord, forgive me for abusing your word. It is finished as everything necessary before I give my spirit to God and lay down my life is out of the way. And as soon as it went out of the way, he was able to give up the ghost. And brethren, what we are not told, but what we should think about, when he died, the darkness disappeared. Mm -hmm. Now, would you like to be that centurion? No wonder. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Darkness came when he was on the cross and he spoke to his father in the uh, second person and he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit and the darkness goes away. And from now on, God is going to show sympathy toward the Lord Jesus Christ and his body. Get that in your heads right now. He's about to get a royal burial. And he is not going in some tomb that some other body's been in. He's going in a brand new... I'm getting a... What am I talking about a tomb for? That's not in this verse. It's beautiful, but I want you to think about when did the darkness go away? It says there was darkness over the earth from 12 to 3. When did Jesus say, my God, my God? 3. And we don't know how quickly he said the other things. But since the darkness was ending... 
And since he was there on the cross dead a while, before the thieves had their legs broken, before they were taken down, with time to wind him up, we know that things were happening rather quickly, but we don't know the details of how it happened between 3 and 6, but that by 5.50, he was in the tomb. Because they couldn't have put him in there at 6.05. He was in the tomb. Verse 34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith, immediately, came there out blood and water. A Roman soldier possibly wearing one or more garments of Jesus, speared our Lord. Could have been wearing a couple. He could have been wearing one undergarment and the coat that didn't have a seam. How many soldiers were there at the cross engaged in this activity? There were four. A quaternion. We're going to run into that word in Acts chapter 12. History indicates that spearing the heart area was another method of hastening death. Why'd he do it? From whose angle? The secret will of God, the revealed will of God, or his own personal boredom? He was bored. He wanted to make sure he was death, dead. God wanted him to make sure he was dead for us. God wanted him to make sure he was dead for them. God wanted him to make sure he was dead for John. God wanted a piercing because the Bible said he had to be pierced. Right, right. It's just all beautiful. When you see things happen, you know there's natural, natural disasters and people do this and kill themselves and kill somebody else and car accidents. There's no accidents in God's government of the world. Right. There's no accident. He sees a million things we can't see. We look at a situation, we can't even see anything. Why is that happening to them? We don't know. But he's got a thousand reasons and that's good enough for me. And all I want to do is look at it and say, except I repent, I'm going to suffer likewise. Because that's how Jesus looked at disasters. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I don't get moved. I know that God's in charge. And I know that men never get what they deserve. Men should get worse punishment than they get. Because he's constantly merciful to this creation. He shows it every day with his sunshine and his rain. But here we have this Soldier, verse 34, piercing his side. Think about the angle. You know, if we were a cold, not a cold case, but uh, forensics, what are those shows called? Uh, my, uh, what, aren't there shows out there that are s- crime sleuths? What are they called? CID? What is it? Crime scene investigation. Crime scene investigation. What is CID? CSI. CSI? Crime? Thank you. Okay, well, you can tell that I'm out of touch. But... If you, you know how they, they'll trace bullet holes and they'll look for the, the bullet that maybe be in a wall or someplace to go back and trace its path through a body so that they can position the shooter. Are you with me? The soldier. Jesus is up on a cross elevated because he was lifted up from the earth. The soldier is on the ground. He's not going to spear him in the thigh. He's not going to spear him in the arm. He's going to thrust it into his trunk. It's going to go under his rib cage, up, up, under his ribs, and into his heart and lung area. And it's going to start out with a very fine point of their spears. They weren't going to have those spears dull. They wanted those spears with a sharp point so that they would enter flesh easily. But it's going to be pretty sizable because that spear shaft has to be strong enough to withstand a lot of other uses as well. Do you know how big the hole was? The Bible tells us. Thomas, reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. That's how big the hole was. So it was a pretty forceful. Roman soldiers were not known for doing it delicately. There wasn't a delicate way to do what he did. But ramming that spear up into his heart and lung cavity, where by the shock of what he'd undergone, whether he'd had heart attacks or not, while he was on the way to Golgotha or on the cross, we don't need to, none of that really matters. But under the stress and shock of the event of crucifixion and scourging and carrying his cross, the pericardia, which is the little pericardium, which is the sac around your heart, usually has two or three tablespoons of fluid because that's the lubrication. Do you know that your heart is working all the time? Do you keep your engine lubricated in that car that you drive only one-tenth of one percent of one percent of the time? 
And so there's lubrication. But when you're under shock, instead of three tablespoons, it can be two liters. The blood goes there. The water goes there. Water. Sarah's fluid. And the lungs do the same thing because you're not able to breathe thoroughly. And so water collects around your lungs and up goes. How long has he been on the cross? Six hours. Up goes the spear. Out comes blood and water. What possessed the soldier to do such a thing to a man already dead? God's will to fulfill Scripture. I love God's will. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. The revealed things belong unto us and to our children that we may do all the words of this law. God has his secret things that he's doing all the time that he doesn't tell us about. Sometimes we see them play out in human history because human history is his story. His story of his secret will. So we love looking at history. But sometimes we can't put all the facts together. You know, we look at the Civil War and we try to figure out what the Lord want to teach our nation. But yesterday I had read to be my my father, no, by my brother, my father was a witness, Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation after Gettysburg in 1863, and he knew why it had happened. You ought to read it, sentence after sentence, about an arrogance, confidence that the prosperity of America, its success, its greatness in the earth was by human ability and we had forgotten God. Right. He gets right to the point. Mm-hmm. I love those proclamations. The decay in those proclamations is sickening, including our present president. That's why I offered our services, that we would write the next one so that it would be intelligent about God and it wouldn't mention first responders. The last people on earth I care about on Thanksgiving Day, the last people on earth are first responders. They don't have a single thing to do with Thanksgiving. I couldn't care less about firemen or policemen on Thanksgiving Day. They have their own days. If you want to celebrate first responders, then go look on your calendar and find first responder day. If you get all excited about firemen, then go find Fireman Day. They all have their days. Thanksgiving is his day. And it's all about him. That's why I put that little quote in there also from the 1863 proclamation where Abraham Lincoln wanted this nation to know that it was not by human ingenuity nor by human effort, but it was all a gift of God, what this nation had. Let's always be that way. We're talking about that Roman soldier that pierced our Lord. Tradition has a name for him. Do you want to hear it? Or should we move on? Do you know how much tradition there is around the cross for those people that want to worship a crucifix? You know, you you want to talk about Veronica's towel? Do you want to get the Shroud of Turin out? Should we have a slideshow of the shroud? It's wrong by about 10 different measures. Somebody was creative that painted that, but they certainly didn't know the Bible. He had hair down to his belly button. Jesus of the Bible didn't have hair down to his belly button. His face was looking pretty good. Beard was in place. I thought his beard was ripped off. On and on we could go. Tradition says he was longinous, and he was healed of an eye disease by spraying blood. He had an eye disease, and when he thrusted that spear up into our Lord, the blood sprayed out, some landed in his eyes, he was immediately cured of an eye disease. Now, you're going to say, why would you bring something like that in the pulpit? Because I want you to go read Matthew Henry, the number one conservative commentary in the world, the number one commentary sold and promoted to Bob Jones University, and read about this verse that blood and water came out. I think Longinus and getting healed from eye disease is better than what I'm about to read to you. Blood and water came out through the rent in his side you can see love flaming there and our names written there
Now, I'm not picking the, on the cotton patch version or the word made fresh, two Bible versions that I've ridiculed in the past that I own in my house. You know, that say the, the rich man in hell asked Abraham if he would send Lazarus with a Dr. Pepper for him. You know, I'm not picking on I'm picking on Matthew Henry. Let's, let's keep going. Matthew Henry. That was, that, was, that was very touching. Matthew, that through that tear in his side, you can see love flaming there. No, all I can see is blood and water and some organs through that hole. You can see Adam's side opened. The first in innocence and sleep to prepare a bride and then in the sleep of death to redeem a bride and espouse her to himself. That is so, that is so spiritual I can't attain to it. Amen. Because remember, Adam had a rent in his side to make him a bride and Jesus got a rent in his side to redeem that bride. I don't know how to study the Bible that way. Fire me and, and hire somebody else because I can't do it. I just talked to you about things like pericardial effusion and pleural effusion. Pericardial is a sac around the heart. Pleural effusion is a sac around the lungs and the water that builds up in them under trauma and shock that Jesus had endured for the last 9 or 12 hours. Oh, I'm not done. The rent in his side provided the material for the poem by George Herbert, The Bag, for your needs to God. With that tear in his side, when you pray, a little note is written and tucked in, and he takes it to God. Now, you know where you can go. It's online. Just type in online Matthew Henry unabridged commentary. I'm not done. The blood is an emblem of communion and the water of baptism. The blood denotes justification and the water symbolizes sanctification. Then they go to 1 John 5, 6 through 8 and tear those verses to shreds that give us our nine witnesses. The nine witnesses. Do you, un- do you understand the nine witnesses that Jesus is the Son of God? The first one's the water. 1 John 5, 6. Are you familiar? There, this is he that came by water and by blood. Not by water only, but by water and blood and by the Spirit. 1 John 5, 6. There's three witnesses. Water, blood, Spirit. Did Jesus Christ come by water, blood, Spirit? When Jesus was baptized in water, what happened? God the Father said, this is my beloved Son. Is that evidence that Jesus is the Son of God? When Jesus died on the cross and it was dark and the temple veil was rent, and the centurion said, truly this man was the Son of God. And he came by the Spirit. Did Jesus have the Spirit without measure unlike any other man? Did he have the power to perform every kind of miracle? And did that Holy Spirit resurrect him from the dead? Jesus came by the by water, by blood, and by the Spirit. Three witnesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Not by water and blood coming out of him. That's not a witness of anything, except he's dead. Not that he's the Son of God. Any other man hanging on that cross, being pierced the same way, blood and water would have come out. Next verse, 1 John 5, 7, which only our Bibles have. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Verse 8. There are three that bear witness on earth. The Spirit... I'm doing it right now. Spirit-inspired Bible, preaching by the Spirit of God to you. Spirit, water, blood. When do you testify that Jesus is the Son of God? And people for 2,000 years have testified that Jesus is the Son of God. That involves water. When they're baptized by, as adults, as believers, in water, identifying themselves with Jesus as the Son of God. What's the first question we always ask any one of them? Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? What are we going to do with blood? Are we going to have some blood involved in this service shortly? Symbolically? Yes, we're going to have communion that the Son of God died for us. There are nine witnesses in 1 John 5, 6 through 8, and they see this blood and water. Remember, it's written down by John. They run over there to 1 John and think that 
This blood and water signifies the Son of God, and it doesn't. It signifies a D word. Can you think of it in our study this morning? It's a D word. Death. Any other man hanging on that cross in the same condition, pierced the same way, would have had the same fluid come out. And it didn't prove he was the Son of God. It proved he was dead. Lord, I want you to have understanding of this passage and delight in what is true about it and not ever get waylaid by what is not true about it. We should not try to draw some spiritual significance from the fact that blood and water flowed out of his side, pierced by a sword, leaving a hole big enough for your hand to be thrust into it. He was dead. And so he was already confirmed to be dead by the soldiers that were there, but he was further proved to be dead because we need to prove that he was dead because 1 Corinthians 15 says the gospel is that Jesus Christ died. You say, you don't get very much out of passages. I know. I ask God every single day of my life, don't give me any more than the Spirit intended and don't give me any less. And I hope that you pray for your pastor for that. This stuff makes me sick. You say, well, why do you read the comment? I just want to see what they have to say. It's pitiful. Remember, Matthew Henry is the number one. Charles Spurgeon had his preacher boys pull from all the commentaries that were available back then. He went through 800 of them and ranked them all from 1 to 800. It's called a, a book that he wrote called Commenting on Commentaries. What's number one? Oh. Charles, please, please tell me that you took the day off and the substitute did it. Matthew Henry is number one. The same commentator that when he gets to 1 Corinthians 15, 29 and baptism for the dead lists ten possible explanations for it, not including the true one because he wasn't a Baptist. He lists 10 possible explanations in his long page, listing them one, two, explaining these ridiculous ideas on what it means. And he gets to the end and he says, we don't know what it meant. All we can know for sure is that the Corinthians understood it. Verse 34 is incredibly meaningful to me. I want it to be meaningful to you. This soldier pierced his side because Scripture needed to be fulfilled. God was in complete charge of the event. Forthwith came there out blood and water. He pierced deep enough to break into that, those, that, those cavities under the rib cage, so that blood and water came out. If he hadn't been dead, he was now dead. But he was already checked out to be dead by death experts. And now there was further evidence that he was dead because we need him dead. He wants to be dead. This is in the Bible for you to know that he was dead because he laid down his life. He wants you to know that he was not swooning. He wants you to know that when he takes his spirit up again and comes out of that tomb, he was dead, but he is now alive because you're going to be dead and you're not going to swoon when we close the casket and put the vault top on you. You're going to be dead, but you know what? It doesn't matter because Jesus already did this for us and he has defeated death. But you've got you to see the death and you've got to believe the death. Verse 35 And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. He that saw it. The third person here is John's standard mark of humility by not identifying himself. Do we know he's there? How do we know he's already there? Woman, behold thy son. That we've already had in John 19. You know, Paul did the same thing. When Paul went to heaven and saw things that were not lawful to utter, how did he describe it? I knew a man in Christ once. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 12. It's Paul talking about himself. Some people will go read that passage and say, who is that? Well, that's Paul. He's just showing a little bit of modesty. He's not going to brag about it. He's bragging about it a little bit. He said, you Corinthians have made me foolish by forcing me to boast about what God's done for me. Because they thought that they had teachers that were equal to Paul. So Paul said, let's come to Revelations. Some of your teachers think that they've had visions. Let me tell you about one I had. I knew a man in Christ once. He went up to the third heaven, and while he was there in paradise, he saw things that are not lawful to be uttered. John's the same way. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. He that saw it. Do you know that the, what's the requirement for an apostle? We had an apostle in Greenville 
till recently, and who knows, we may have five or ten more in charismatic or Pentecostal churches that don't have a clue about what the Bible teaches on any of these related matters. But we had one, his name was Ron Carpenter, he decided to dump this church here and go to California. He was an apostle. What did you have to, what, what had to be true about you to be an apostle? You had to have seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear me when I read that to you in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8? Seen of Cephas, then others, then 500 brethren at once, most of whom are still alive, some are sleeping, and last of all, he was seen of Paul, me, as a man born in a due season. So how many times did Ron Carpenter see him? Since he was last seen by Paul. I want you to notice the eyewitness evidence that we have that Jesus was dead. We have eyewitness accounts, and these fishermen from Galilee went into the world and preached eyewitness accounts backed up by miracles, and men believed them. Then they wrote down what they had seen, and we are the beneficiaries today. The Bible is an incredible history book. It is an eyewitness history book. Have you ever read an eyewitness history book about the three ships that came from Portugal or Spain? Because I can't remember. There was a pretty girl in class that day. Was it Portugal or Spain? The three ships that came to America. Did you ever read an eyewitness account? What have you read an eyewitness account about? The Council on Foreign Relations? Tell me about your eyewitness. We have a history book that is unprecedented. Right. It's got eyewitness accounts. It's got multiple eyewitness accounts. I love verse 35. What should you do with verse 35? You should love your Bible. How do you read your Bible? How excited do you get about your Bible? Luke wrote in his first four verses of his gospel to Theophilus that he had understood these things from the beginning and he wanted him to be certain of the truth of the gospel. Love your Bibles. Love the gospel. The good news and glad tidings of facts about Jesus Christ. Let's not let the Catholics steal it with a crucifix. Let's not let anyone steal it. Let's love the Bible and the record that we have by an eyewitness account. He want, Matthew didn't tell us. Mark didn't tell us. Luke didn't tell us. And as far as we know, those three weren't there. John was there. John saw it. John wrote it down. A Roman soldier came by and pierced him. And out came blood and water. He was dead, dead, dead. They didn't break his legs. I was there. Because verse 35 is leading into verses 36 and 37. He wants you to know, I saw it with my own eyes. Verse 35, he that saw it bear record. I wrote down what I saw, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that she might believe. When you know that something is true and you're trying to tell a person that doesn't think that it's very likely, don't, what happens inside you? You don't know what else to say. Listen, I saw it with my own eyes. This is John trying to talk to you. I saw it with my own eyes. I don't lie. I'm telling you the truth. I'm under inspiration not to lie right now as I'm writing to you. I'm bearing record of it. I love the Bible. Love your Bibles. We live in an information explosion. You can Google search anything you want. You can read just about any book in the world through Google Books. But it has not brought us truth. This information brings us truth. Our God and Bible are very dogmatic about their truth and ridicule all competitors. We should never fear Bible positions or apologize for them to anyone. Do you ever apologize for the Bible on any subject? What in the world's wrong with you? Every subject the Bible takes up is absolutely right, and we should hate every opposing idea. Right. We should love God's law and every word and hate every vain thought. Verse 36, For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. These things are the things of this section the details of our Lord's death and burial, and what has happened so far? Broken legs and spear to side. Two things. Legs weren't broken by, of Jesus Christ, and he was speared in his side. Two things. 
These things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. Amen. And you know, we can prove that scripture in a couple of different ways. I suggested last night that you read Psalm 34 and look at verse 20, which says, A bone of the righteous shall not be broken. But righteous men have had bones broken. But who was the most righteous man of all? His bone was not broken. Is Psalm 91 messianic? How will we know it's messianic? Because Satan applied it to Jesus. Do we look at Psalm 91 and take it to ourselves as well? That a thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee? But who is it fulfilled in ultimately? The Lord Jesus Christ. And Satan knew that because Satan used it against the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is anyone that can jump off the top of the temple 700 feet to the brook Kydron below, it's you. Let's see if the scriptures work. You know, that'd be challenging. Half of you would probably dive with me. But the, the Lord said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Right. And hopefully we've learned from that little lesson. That was Psalm 34 and verse 20. Go ahead and look at it if you wish. Psalm 34 and verse 20. We're almost done here. You can tell because we're almost to verse 37. Psalm 34 and verse 20. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Who is that ultimately true of in the whole history of the world? The Lord Jesus Christ. What does it say in verse 19? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Jesus had many afflictions. He was a righteous man. He was the most righteous man there ever was. So if the verses apply to a righteous man, they apply to Jesus Christ even more. What is he called in 1 John 2, 1? Jesus Christ the righteous. Or we can go to Exodus chapter 12 and Leviticus 23 where it describes the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb could not have a bone broken of it. When you took that Passover lamb and you killed it and you bled it out into a basin and then you cooked it and whatever else you did to it, you skinned it, you gutted it, whatever you did to it, you couldn't break its bones. And that was a rule. But that was just a description, that was a, that was a descriptive command of Moses to Israel about rules they were to follow with the Passover. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. I can run that route as easy as the other one. Because 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells me that Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. But I've also got Psalm 34 and verse 20, so when I've got them both, I like them both. Scripture was fulfilled by the Roman soldiers not using their iron club on the the tibia and fibula of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. To fulfill Psalm 34, 20, to fulfill Exodus 12, to fulfill Leviticus 23, to fulfill 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Jesus is the Passover lamb, not a bone was broken. Why did the Roman soldiers not break his legs? To fulfill scripture, not a bone shall be broken. Why did the Roman soldier pierce his side? John said, I saw both. I saw that his legs were not broken. I saw that he was speared by a Roman soldier. Well, that's the next verse. Verse 37. And again, another scripture saith, Matthew, Mark, and Luke leave all these things alone. But John was there. John saw his legs weren't broken. He was pierced. And another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. That is Zechariah 12.10. The Jews are going to see Jesus Christ again. They saw Jesus Christ Again, in the 70 AD, metaphorically, symbolically, representatively, by his judgment. And they're going to see him in a day that's coming. The Jews are going to have to look on the Lord Jesus Christ of glory, glorified, whom they pierced. And so we have these verses. How dead was Jesus? Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. From his testimony, he was dead. The centurion overseeing it was interviewed by Pilate and he said he was dead. The four Roman soldiers approached the three and did not break the legs of Jesus because he was dead. Joseph and Nicodemus are going to take that body down and if there had been some warmth left in it, what would they have done? They'd have treated him, revived him. So 
Their testimony is he was dead. Instead, they wound him up like a mummy with a hundred pounds of spices, as we're going to get to in the second service. Their testimony was he was dead. So when I come to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3, the gospel that I declared unto you is that Jesus Christ died, according to the scriptures. And he certainly did die, according to the scriptures. Everything leading up to the moment he gave his spirit back to God, and the moments after fulfilled scripture all the way around with the crucifixion of our Lord. That's John 19, 31 through 37. What time is it now? I don't, don't look back there. What time is it now in John 19? 4.30? 5 o'clock? They're getting squeezed. Who said tag team? Did somebody say tag team? It was a tag team. Magnificent. Magnificent. Joseph goes to Pilate. Mm-hmm. Nicodemus has got a wheelbarrow or servants that are bringing along 100 pounds of spices and some linen cloth, and they're going to wind the Lord Jesus Christ up. And just perchance, there happens to be a garden right there by Golgotha that has a brand new tomb in it, hewn out of solid rock that was Joseph's, a rich man. The Bible tells us all these facts. And they're going to wind him up and stick him in there and roll a great stone over the opening. He's going to be buried. Alex, we're going to drop a big, heavy concrete vault top on top of you. Are you ready for it? Do you know how we showed the Lord that we were ready for it? Being baptized. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful being Baptists. Mm -hmm. Because we all got laid into the water to come up. And so will the Lord. (laughs) May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. For you to believe that Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. For your sins. Amen.